All right, welcome everybody. We are now live. I'm excited to have here Andrea. Uh, she is the co-founder of the Product Dynamic, and she has worked in product management and support for over 10 years with companies in various growth stages, always with a focus on customer-centered outcomes and best practices. How's it going, Andrea? How are things with you today? Hey, uh, really good. Thanks for having me here today. I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm super excited to talk about product adoption strategy. I know you've already chatted for the product led summit about that. Before we jump in, you know, for a lot of folks, they're like, we already got the product strategy. I'm curious for you, like, how would you define uh, what a product adoption strategy is and how it fits into a product like the product roadmap or product strategy in general? That's a good one. So I think product strategy can perhaps be looked at as an objective. So it's it's part of your roadmap, it's part of your overall strategy, but you're you're putting a focus on how people adopt either various parts of your product throughout their customer journey. So it's definitely one very important chunk of, of how you get people, you know, to to continuously use um, your product. Makes a ton of sense. I want to jump right into for you particularly. What's one of the best ways to to start thinking about the product adoption strategy, especially as a team? Like, how do you prioritize what your product adoption strategy to, as as a team together? So, as I said, I think it's about objectives. So, if you instead of thinking as product adoption as a separate thing, think of it as as a set of objectives or as an objective that your team can work towards together. If you have you know different silos or different groups focusing on 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 various areas, it becomes a bit of a problem. So. I guess another way of thinking about it is if you're all working together to achieve one goal, then you're going to do it better rather than trying to achieve multiple things at the same time, you know, not really achieving any of those. That makes a ton of sense. So I guess that, that that's my next question around that. How do you like, let's say you're, you're taking on as a consultant or you're joining as a team. What's a good way to start thinking about coming up with that goal or, you know, other people call it the, the North Star metric or what is that product adoption goal that people should be driving around? And I'm, I'm guessing it depends on the product. It depends it on does. the industry, but do you, <laughs> yes. do you have a suggestion in terms of what particularly is uh, a way to figure out that particular goal as a team? Yeah, I love that you said it, it depends because that's that's always my product management team answer is, well, it depends. And it depends, obviously, on the industry, on your you know product maturity, uh, your growth stage, you know, et cetera. So there, there are a lot of things that go into that and how you uh, decided. But I think don't just call it product adoption, but think of it as how you want to move the needle, right? So it's increased product adoption. That is the actual objective name. And then as you're thinking about your key results, think about how the work that you're going to do is going to make an impact. So if you want to increase product adoption, what exactly are your metrics? What are you looking to to impact and and how might you set a a success baseline for those outcomes? So I think uh, when people think about objectives and key results, I think when those things go wrong is when they say things like product adoption. And then, well, let's keep things at, or let's reach this number, right? 180 signups uh, a month. Like that's neither an objective nor a key result. (laughs) What you want to do is focus on what the impact is. So you want to increase product adoption. And then your key result is increase it by 25%, let's say. So then you have a, a metric. And always look at the baseline as well. So where are you now and where do you want to be? And that's how you how you drive that um, or drive those OKRs. 
you might have answered this already beforehand. We've been throwing the word product adoption around, but like how how would you how would like a team, a product team or a product marketing or a marketing team or just a team in general know that their their product has has been adopted already or like what is that, you know, check we've 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 gotten product adoption like and like once again I'm I'm pretty sure it really depends on the product as well, but like, do you have any guidance around like how can companies or teams know that they're that they've met that product adoption criteria or that metric? So I, what I usually recommend is don't think as product adoption as one point in time. So it's not a thing that you want to reach, but it's this ongoing, like this ongoing situation, let's call it for lack of a better word, that is continuous, right? So if you kind of look at the, the customer journey, again, a customer journey will vary depending on your industry and your product and, and, you know, what it is that you do, but you may have things like, you know, it, it, in a very simple scenario, you may have the initial awareness phase where people are only just starting to um, become aware of your brand and what you do. You then may have an education phase where they're looking to, you know, understand more about your product. Then you have the actual activation and you have the, that ongoing retention, but think of it as a loop and product adoption is happening throughout that loop. So, when somebody gets to know your brand, they have to start a trial. That's them adopting your product. They're, they're adopting wanting to try you out as they're educating themselves. How do you get them to, to engage into that education um, and engage with that trial? When they activate, again, sure, they're adopting your product and they're activating. And then you go into retention. But just because you already have the customer doesn't mean you don't have to constantly try and push that product adoption. Because when you put out a new feature, you have to start the loop all over again, right? Make them aware of the feature, educate them, get them to adopt it. And that adoption in that sense might be um, expansion, for example. So get them to adopt a new part of your product. I love how you said that, that, you know, like people think it's like this one moment in time where check, check mark, you know, like I, I'm not sure about you. Like I love checklists and like check product adoption. And you're saying that it ne- not necessarily is uh, uh, the way to, to, to look at that. It's more of a, a loop and looking at that particular customer journey. So now we have an idea of, of what it is. Uh, what are some tactics and, and strategies you have to, to help, you know, let's say, once again, you hired us consultant or you're, you're, you join a team. Now we've, we've kind of figured out like what, what it is that, that we're trying to achieve with our product adoption strategy. What are some ways to actually drive and increase that particular you know, goal or objective once you've figured that out? I usually like to think about things in terms of experiments. So before you tie yourself to a solution and saying, cool, we're going to go do this, actually take the time to understand why it is that you want to do something and what that potential impact might be. Um, So I like to always frame things in questions. So, you know, can we do or how might we approach this particular problem in order to achieve this particular outcome? And that then places you in a position where you can actually explore different solutions. And then based on the solution that will give you that desired outcome, then you can go, okay, cool, we're going to start focusing on this more. Um, And that is part of, you know, what a product management is known as discovery and experimentation is, you know, take the time to really explore what your options are so that when you do commit to those things, you have a better understanding of 
what your baseline is, what you want to achieve, what success looks like, and you reduce the risk of business failure. So instead of going from zero to 100, you start trying things out and then you go, okay, well, clearly this opportunity is is going to give us, you know, that increase in product adoption that we're looking at. So it's never an easy answer. You can't just go, boom, let's try this, you know, done. (laughs) You got to start, you know, trying things little by little. And I know it sounds uh, sometimes when people go, oh, that sounds really counteractive. Why can't I just, you know, do it? I'm like, well, then because you're then waterfall. (laughs) You're not in an agile environment whatsoever. So that makes a ton of sense. You're right. Like, I love how you brought up growth, growth experimentation. I'm that's like really at the heart of like making sure things work is that scientific approach. And I might be putting you on the spot here. Can you think of like an example that you've done in the past and you don't have to call it the product particularly where like you, there's an experiment that whether like there's a learning that you, that you figured out based on that experiment or, or maybe like they actually increase the product adoption. Like can you, can you recall an experiment you've done in the past around yeah, well, the most recent one when I was at Prodpad, uh, one of my last projects was, so I was handling um, education in the help center as its own product, uh, which was really exciting because you get to think as, as education as its own thing, right? It's not a product, but it's still a service. And we, uh, we thought we knew <laughs> what the new help center had to look like, right? Um, so we kind of designed it and we started running usability tests. And every single time without failure, nobody knew where to find the release notes. <laughs> um, and we were like, but why? They're on the front page. <laughs> it, it should be that obvious. And that just allowed us to you know, reframe the front page in a sense where things are findable, both from a, a search point of view, because people just go directly to the search, but also from a navigation point of view. Um, and that essentially, you know, makes that that help sensor more adoptable, so to speak, or more usable. Um, yeah, I was just saying thank you for, for sharing that. I know, like, uh, that wasn't part of the questions that you, so uh, I appreciate you sharing that particular Absolutely. example. One of the other things that you talked about in the Product Summit uh, video that you shared is around driving product adoption. Uh, and catering it to different types of users or buyer personas. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, how do you craft now? You have this one, you know, you have this objective for a, a buyer persona or uh, for a particular objective, and then now you're serving se- several mar- markets. Like, how do you? How how would the team like think about that and uh, maybe crafting or segmenting their their adoption strategy for different personas or users? So again, the, it depends, right? Um, I think when when you're a younger company or when you're first putting out a feature, it's normal for the first and most important persona to be the the main user persona. So like the main perfect customer that's always you know engaging with your application. That is not a bad thing to do. That's normal. But you also need to consider everyone else that's around that main user, right? So for example, sometimes it so just happens that the person that might be the advocate or the champion for your product is not the person buying your product. So then you need to be able to have resources to support that buyer or that purchasing persona. Likewise, just because you have a product champion or that that main user doesn't mean that you don't have other secondary users. And often it's actually those secondary users that drive the overall usage. So you may have one person that's, you know, the cheerleader, but if the rest of your team or the rest of their team isn't adopting it, then you're going to fail anyway. So it's important to also think about, you know, what resources you have for those users, 
what does the navigation look like for those secondary users? If they're banned or barred from interacting with certain areas, how do you then push them to, to get their roles upgraded, right? Or get the right permissions to be able to use them as opposed to just giving them a blank screen that says, you know, no access or whatever. Mm. It makes a ton of sense. I really like how you put that. Uh, I want to take a, a question from the audience. This is so new for me as well. Uh, Cheryl, and I'm going to show it on the screen. Cheryl says, can you talk a bit about how to measure product adoption? In, in particular, when we think about getting customers to activate certain features so like they're maybe they're releasing a new feature like how do you how and the question is how can you talk about how to measure that product adoption for that that particular feature i would again it depends uh first set of baseline so what is your baseline for someone interacting with with a particular area of your product and then look at that as a trend so when something is first released how are people interacting with it X amount of months after, are they still interacting with it? So are they still finding value? Another way of thinking about product adoption, um, which I really like is, is, and I mean product as a whole thing, not just as a particular feature, is thinking about what in your product or what actions are uh, positive and negative drivers. So a positive driver might be inviting another user, right? Um, a positive driver might be creating something or adding something. A negative driver could be deleting a user or deleting an item. Uh, obviously, it's not that black and white, <laughs> but but it's indicators, right, that could lead you um, to think about and, and form this, I guess, adoption health score, so to speak, that can give you an idea of, of how different users, but also a company as a whole, might be using your product. And so I like this concept of positive and negative drivers because uh, uh, it could be, like I said, they're deleting a bunch of stuff, but it doesn't need to be a bad thing. But it's also a very clear lead indicator that you can reach out to them and then get your customer success team to, you know, interact um, or, or possibly prevent churn if, if that's what's happening. That's a fascinating way to put it, like a positive and negative. And like whenever I think of a positive negative, like I'm thinking of keeping score. So is that something that you, like if they it's advanced enough, like... Maybe I'm getting too, a little too close to product qualified leads, but is that something you're thinking about? Like, you know, plus one, plus two, and then like negative one, or is that way too complicated where? I would say simplify it. So what what are things that, and obviously this this is going to take some time also as, as you get to know your users and, and with that product maturity, but I would say some classic things are like, if somebody invites someone, that's actually one of the gamification drivers, right? It's um, social interaction. So you're getting the rest of your team to, to invest in using that product. So that's a positive thing. Um, if those users continue, those secondary users continue to interact, again, that's a positive thing. If they add an integration, that's a positive thing because then they're starting to integrate you know, different areas and different, um, different teams as well within that. But if they then start you know, deleting massive amounts of data, that raises a question. So it doesn't have to be a plus one or a negative one, but more around different types of engagement that's, or um, interactions um, or behavior, right? It adds up to, to the overall behavior of the user. Interesting. And let's say you have a user and they're just like negative, negative, negative. They're just like doing all the negative <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah. What, what, would, like, what would you, is there something you would suggest? Would you like, hey, hey, marketing 
team, like, can you send an email to this user? Like, what would you suggest in that situation? Yeah, I mean, I I would jump on a phone call and be like, hey, friend. (laughs) So we noticed that, you know, there's some deleting going on. Is there anything we can do for you? Like, what is going on? Jump on it. Don't wait for them. Don't, Don't throw your hands and be like, ah, well, they're leaving. You know, don't don't do that because that is the worst thing you can do. Even if they do decide to leave, ask them for feedback. And that is what's going to help you prevent that the next time. At the very least, it's going to leave them with a positive reminder that you do care. Even if, if you know, that relationship just didn't work out, they'll be like, oh, you know, their support was really great. They cared enough to actually ask me why I was deleting things. You have, and like, maybe I'm like basing this on my experience. Like it's really, it's really tough to get feedback when they're about to leave. Like, do you have a suggestion? Like, you know, like, uh, would you suggest incentivizing them? Like, Hey, you know, if you give us feedback, we'll give you a $10 Amazon gift card. I'm not sure. Like, how do you? Um, Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. Sometimes people just don't want to talk and that's okay. But I would definitely, you know, just be like, we appreciate your time. It's okay if it didn't work out, but we'd love to know what we could do better next time or what it is about the product that that didn't quite add up. And I, I myself, I'm more than happy to get feedback um, if asked. I think what I what I don't like is when people go, we won't cancel your account until you get this feedback. <laughs> that is the, the wrong approach. <laughs> <laughs> that is the worst approach. Just be yeah. like, yes, absolutely, your account is canceled. But if you have the time, we would love to know about, you know, what went wrong here. Mm. That makes a ton of sense. Uh, we're talking about like the negative side. I'm curious what you, like, let's say somebody is just like fall, like positive, 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 and they're really falling in love. What I find is a lot, like often uh, there is no, they're just like, oh, great. That's cool. But like, would you suggest like anything to even encourage that even more, whether that's congratulations, friend, <laughs> or like what's a, a way, how do you think about like now, there's a negative side, but also like there's users who are, you're seeing a positive upward movement. How do you kind of push that momentum forward so that they really like adopt even further or like even to the point where they become, start becoming, uh, telling their friends and colleagues about it, they become uh, an evangelist. Absolutely. So I really like something called the customer experience score, if you really want to measure it anyway. And it's, a little bit almost the opposite is NPS. So NPS puts the pressure on the user to recommend you, right? So it's like, can you do something for us? The uh, customer experience score rather focuses on what you can do for the customer. So it's, it's the question that is asked is, how has your experience been so far? Very simple. Allow them to give you feedback. If it's great feedback, awesome. Thank them for it. Um, and you can create a sort of a reward funnel. And that reward funnel can be focused on things like if they give you, you know, three really positive glowing, uh, you know, reviews on, on this customer experience um, survey type thing, send them a mug, send them a T-shirt, <laughs> send them swag, like make people happy. Um, yeah. Do a little bit of marketing for them, show them off in a case study, show them off in a video, like get creative about that funnel. And, and start rewarding your customers. Um, and I there's some companies that have done a wonderful job with this, like Zendesk, like AppQs, like very early on. Um, they got me really hyped up about the product because 
it wasn't just, oh, hey, cool, thanks for your feedback. But I remember Abq's, um Jonathan, when he was CEO, he actually sent me treats for my dog. <laughs> How spot on is that? He sent me treats for my dog and a bandana. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, Zendesk, when I went to see them in San Francisco, they let me into their swag closet and they what? let me take stuff. <laughs> I have limited edition Zendesk t-shirts from a million years ago, (laughs) but it's that kind of stuff that gets, you know, customers to go. I remember that interaction. I will probably recommend this company again. Um, So it's the little delighters. It's, it might not seem a lot um, to your company. Like why would somebody care about a mug? Of course they do. I mean, I, I, I'm actually wearing my PLG socks. I mean, I'll show you, but um, I'm oh my wearing goodness. my PLG socks right now. So it's things like that, right? That create delighters. And instead of directly going to that uh, very awkward question is, would you recommend us after like a month? Instead, focus on how have we done so far? How has your experience been? How can we make it better? And if it's been great, awesome, you know, have some branded socks, for example. Man, that's so good. I mean, now you could to think about it, the NPS question sounds so leading. <laughs> it's like, right, versus this, it's like, you know, it could, it's very open to end it and it goes both ways. And I guess my question, and it's not related to this, but how did Jonathan know that you have a dog that did, did Jonathan from AppKeys did, did you tell the I team probably, that? I might have probably told. They might have even just seen it in 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 Twitter. They did, you know, they did the research clearly. But I, I, I honestly, I really love that it. They didn't necessarily said something for me, which they could have, of course. But they sent something for my dog. And I remember when I was at Prodpad, Zendesk uh, gave us a, a little onesie for the CPO when he had his baby. Uh, so it's little things like that that it's so personal. Um, but it creates that delighter of saying they care. Um, another example of, of something I've done is we had a customer um, who we noticed hadn't been online for a while. And I remember thinking, what, something's going on here, right? So we reached out to one of their team members. And I think it was Jason. I said, hey, Jason, um, you know, your coworker hasn't been online. And he goes, oh, yeah, she broke her leg. <laughs> <laughs> um hasn't been able to walk in like two months so just has been out of work recuperating so we sent little you know care package her way just to be like hey we noticed you're not around and we heard you weren't okay so you know take care of yourself we will be here for when you get back um and then that that person when they quit their job and they moved somewhere else they came back to product over and over and over again because we created that relationship. So it's it's those moments that it's really about creating and developing the relationship and trying to measure loyalty. Because think about it. Do you measure loyalty with your friends? Do you have like a scoreboard? <laughs> and you're like, I like you better because you do things for me. <laughs> so when, again, when you're then thinking about product adoption, that adoption, that expansion happens from creating those relationships. So if you can constantly educate and delight your customers, they will be, I want to say, more delighted about wanting to spend their money with you. Man, that's so good. I think like whenever I think of product adoption strategy or product strategy, it's like, well, what what can I do in the product to get people to stay on and become become like fans of this? But you're saying like sometimes like the little things that you delight them outside of the product can actually make a bigger impact. Than it is like tweaking this little product or things like that. Because 
there's a quote that you know people remember how you make them feel versus like what you tell them or you say to them and it really comes back to this like you felt special right you felt special Absolutely. Like, like jonathan, <laughs> that jonathan remembered you had a dog or they twitter stalked you that you have a dog yeah I'd, exactly and mind you jonathan and i are still friends <laughs> so you know it's so we develop a, a, a friendly relationship um and that is what matters i mean i'm still friends with a lot of the people that were at, at zendesk you know Probably 10 years ago. And I remember going to the Sendesk office in San Francisco and we're walking down this office and everyone's like, Hey, Andrea. And Jana was CEO of Prop and she's like, how many people do you know? And I'm like, well, apparently the entire company. <laughs> and I was like, Hey, Andrea. So I developed relationships with developers and product people and community people and, and, you know, support people because they took the time to talk to me. Mm. So develop part of that product adoption strategy is not just tweaking that onboarding or, or, you know, adding your marketplace or whatever it might be. Those, those are things that are product led, which are fantastic, but how do you support product led outside of the product? And that comes from developing a relationship that comes from your community. So there are, I think of, of having a product led strategy as branching out into multiple things. So it's community and it's support and it's um, education and it's marketing as well. It doesn't mean it has to be marketing led. It can still be product led, um, but it's, you know, it, it goes so much more beyond um, just tweaking things within a product. Um, if you can delight your customer enough that they trust you, they're always going to come back. Mm, that's so good. I really love, love how you, you pulled it all in like product led doesn't have to be happening in the product. Like that's just, I'm going to tweet that later. <laughs> but, you know, I'm starting to come up to to my particular time in terms of my questions. Uh, and if other folks have questions, feel free to drop it in, in the comments of this live stream. But, you know, we've talked a lot about so many different things about Delight and product adoption strategy and measurement. If you can give like one or two pieces of advice that you can, that to, to the product-led community uh, to enthusiasts around or people who are just like learning about product-led growth, what would be those one or two pieces of advice, uh, whether we it's something we talked about or something that we haven't touched, touched upon yet? I would say that when you think about experimentation, um, particularly for, for, you know, adopting something new, you don't need to do things in a super fancy way. So it's okay to send a type form. It's okay to create a rough little video that I think shortens the time between how you go from an idea to understanding that outcome. Some people are like, well, you know, uh, if this is ugly, nobody's going to look at it. And I'm like, who cares if it's ugly? I, that's not the point. The point is to understand if there's value in this. You can make it pretty later, but we're not focusing on pretty. We're focusing on valuable. And so don't be ashamed to, you know, create a rough video. And I, I'm saying that because I used to be ashamed of it. I'm like, I'm like, if I create this really horrible video, what if people, you know, judge me because the sound is off or whatever, but that's not necessarily the case is if you present it from a point of view of saying, Hey, I really want your feedback on this. I want to make sure that in the future, somebody else in your company or, or somebody else joining, you know, our, our product is able to find value in this. The fact that you're asking someone would this be valuable 
it almost, again, it develops that relationship where you're building trust and you're not just saying, you know, here we did things, but it's like, we want to do something and we want to make sure that there is value in this for you, for your company, for other, um, for other potential users. And, and you're trusting the person to be able to give you that feedback. Um, so I love when companies are like, hey, you know, can you give us some feedback on this? And then when it does actually um, come to fruition, you're like, hey, I, I had something to do with that. That's really cool. <laughs> I was part of that. And it's cooler if they follow up with you after and say, hey, hey, Andrea, like you gave us this feedback. We implemented it. And here it is. <laughs> Thank you. Like that would right? be such a delight. And that's what I always say is be that superhero. Like be cool enough to say, you gave us this feedback. It doesn't matter if it was a year ago. It's like, at least you're, you took the time to look back on it a year later and say, we did this really cool thing. And speaking of product adoption, even if you do it a year later and the user left or didn't sign up or whatever, the fact that you reached back after whatever amount of time may have passed, you provide another opportunity for that user to come back and try your product again. So again, it's another product adoption strategy. It's, it's saying, hey, you helped us. Here's this delighter, come back. They just might, you, you don't know that, they just might. You finally gave them you know, whatever piece may have been miss missing for them. Um, so I think it's, uh, again, when you're thinking of product adoption, it's not one thing. You don't get to adoption, then go, Ding. I mean, I love checklists too, by the way. Um, <laughs> I, I've been wanting to say that for a while. Uh, but you don't just you don't just go from A to B. It's it's this constant loop and this you know um, this this thing that you have to nurture all the time. I might be reading between the lines because I was just on a podcast that said everything is marketing. Like if you look at it, like everything in the the use the customer experience is product adoption, right? Like the right from the beginning, uh, all the way to like the whole loop is like. Especially for a SaaS, like if you're not retaining your users, you're not doing well, right? Like if you're not, if you don't have a good retention strategy, you don't have a quote unquote good product adoption strategy, then then you're probably not because SaaS is built on that retention piece. So just is that something that that you would agree with that everything is product adoption? Yeah, why not? <laughs> Let's go for it. Um, I, yeah, I think everything is product adoption. If you're looking at growth, growth is really it's product adoption. If you're looking at mm. activation, it's really it's a product adoption. Even education, education leads to product adoption. Mm. Even when you think about different strategies. So again, you can be support-led, right? How do you how do you drive support-led growth? Well, through product-led growth. <laughs> you can't have one without the other. So yeah, let's 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 change that conversation. Say everything is product adoption. Start a podcast, Andrew. <laughs> everything is product adoption. I have some questions from the audience. Uh, the first one is from Sheryl. He asked, any tips on creating customer experience journey map? And he gave more context in the comments that he's struggling with doing this cross-departmentally because other departments are still working in silos, which is a good point. Like, Create a customer experience map. You need you need like the different functions to work together to create it. So, any tips for if the teams are still working in silo to create this customer experience journey map? Yeah, I mean, I I would definitely involve different departments um, in in creating that that customer experience journey map. Do it in a way where you have 
I mean, I don't know how big your company is, uh, but if you can have one representative of each department to join you in a session, that'd be great because then everyone can give you their perspective. Um, and you can also outline, you know, different touch points from different, you know, teams that may happen. So, you know, again, within the awareness phase, you know, what teams get involved and and, and what impact does it have um, on that overall experience? But if you're you're working in different silos, then it's it's never going to work. So definitely try to start moving towards, you know, seeing this not as your multiple teams, but your cross-functional groups working under one team or one umbrella. Um, and if you're able to work that way, then you can also start setting objectives that don't contradict each other. Makes a ton of sense. Thank you for, for answering that question. I have one more question from... Uh, I think it's an app called Woodpecker. And they're asking the question is, how do you handle communication with customers who don't want to have a relationship? And I think the context here is like when you're doing maybe outbound outreach, like you're you're doing like, you know, sales development and or it could be the other side where like they're done with you. <laughs> they're not happy and they're going to leave. So I think that's the two contexts here where like, yeah, they're, you're trying to do outbound um, I'll throw you a different context in there. I once had um, one very prominent team member, you know, from a company who just outright said, I don't want to get any messages. I don't want any emails. I don't want to know about anything. Like, leave me alone. I just want to log in and do my job and that's it. And I mean, I had to respect it, right? If they don't want any sort of comms whatsoever, then it is what it is. But the way I, I might recommend you handle it is to say, Okay, well, definitely we'll we'll unsubscribe you from any comms, any emails, any messages, in app, whatever. But be aware that the repercussions of that might be when we have a release, we won't be able to tell you, we won't be able to send you documentation. Just make them aware of what happens, um, you know, in the event that you proceed with that uns um, unsubscribe. If they still want it, that's fine. Um, perhaps offer them if they want to another avenue for them to be able to, to find out that information. So you could say, we respect your decision. We won't bug you. We won't send you any intercom or whatever messages. But if at any point in time you want to find out about whatever new release, here's the link to our release notes. That makes a ton of sense. And uh, the team there from Woodpecker gave more context. It is post-sales. So they've already purchased it and, you're, and you're, you gave the context there that they don't want they don't want any notifications anymore. Yeah, I love how you put it. Like, oh, here, here's what you're going to miss out if you, you know, you, you're going to miss out on helpful content, any future helpful releases. So I, I guess if they're if they say no to that, then they they've they've they know the the potential things that they're gonna lose based on that. Yeah, absolutely. And if you do have the benefit of creating more specific segments um, and they say, okay, fine, you know, let me know about a new release, but I don't want to know about any webinars and you can create those, um, those comm segmentations, then that's then more helpful. Um, a lot of time, you know, I think it's just, they don't want to be overwhelmed by too many messages. So it, it, I think it's still beneficial to keep the person subscribed, but of course they have the right to say, I don't want to hear from you. You can't force that relationship. But if you can create that segmentation and just say, there is still helpful content here in terms of at least education and, and new releases, um, 
provide them that option if you can. If you can't, well, I mean, there's only so much you can do and you do have to respect the fact that the customer doesn't want to talk to you. So true. It sucks, but it is what it is. That's, yeah, if they don't want, then can't, you can't force people, right? It's all about consent here. Uh, I have one more question from uh, Shifra. I hope I hope we pronounce your right name correctly. How do you encourage uh, How do you encourage customers to self educate and still have uh, personal experience when they want help? They often come to live chat, which is okay, but it's uh, it gets expensive for them for the, the scale. So, how, I guess that's a good question. How do you balance like self education plus personal experience when? You know, part of product light is leaving users alone, <laughs> let them self-serve, and at the same time, giving them an opportunity to build that personal relationship at the same time. Um, so obviously, um, Shifra, I don't know anything about your product or your situation, but I will say that after having investigated a lot of apps, I am almost ashamed to say how many of those apps don't make it easy to find help. And these are these are well-known companies, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you um, <laughs> these are well-known companies, yeah. and I couldn't find any help within the app. I mm. had to click on the question mark, you know, the question mark, um, try to find their help center, then try to search for the right term. And so right there, I'm already frustrated. So obviously it's gonna be a lot easier for me to just go to chat and ask the question when I've just wasted, you know, how many minutes of my life trying to figure something out. Uh, so if you want them to self-serve, then actually give them the information to self-serve. And it sounds like a very dire, of course, um, but you have no idea how many apps I have gone <laughs> through and just trying to find the help. It's like, come on, you know, I shouldn't have to look through thousands of community posts. I shouldn't have to look through that many, you know, pieces of documentation, it should just be there. Um, a really great example of a company that does this well is Miro. Um, so Miro has the, yes, they have the question mark, but the, everything is in-app. All their search is in-app, all their documentation is in-app. Everything is there and it's structured really, really nicely. Like that is my dream setup right there <laughs> because I don't have to leave to try and search for that help. Um, HubSpot also does it really well. Um, so they have their little slide out and the documentation on the slide out is relevant to the information that is on the page. So if I'm looking at HubSpot marketing and I'm on you know, the page as to I don't know, how to upload contacts, then when I click on the question mark, the documentation that I see is relevant to what's in front of me. Um, and that's really, really, really valuable. That's great. And I know it's not a question, but Cheryl made a good point. Self-guided resource can be great. And a lot of users prefer this type. And the challenge is helping users easily get to those users, uh, those resources during pain moments, like you said. Like, right, great example with Miro, great example with, with HubSpot as well. Um, I use Canva a lot. Like, I also find it super easy to, to find help with that. Can yeah, Canva is great. I've been using it recently as well. Well, I mean, if there's no other questions, uh, I, I just want to thank you so much, Andrea, for your time. I really, really do appreciate you answering my questions for the podcast, but as well as answering questions from the community. Thank you so much, everybody. <laughs>